Well, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Time of Grace's podcast behind the series. Uh, for all of you faithful listeners or watchers, if you're watching this on the the video version, uh, those of you who are here for the first time, so great to be here. It's me, Pastor Mike from TOG, and so excited to have back Amber L.B. Swenson. Amber, I have a question for you. Yep. We had a Time of Grace staff meeting that started off with much passion and debate because we were given the task to come to the meeting with an unpopular opinion that we have. Oh, so, okay. Uh, I'll give you a few examples, but I want you, I'm going to ask you, what's an unpopular opinion that Amber holds? Someone said, for example, that naps are overrated. Oh. Which was, I almost walked out of the room. I, I can't I be in, too. I can't be in fellowship with people who don't appreciate naps. Someone said that Harry Potter wasn't good, which uh, made our producer Nia very frustrated. Um, I'm, I'm going to save the last one for a second, but first, um, I'm putting you on the spot. What's an unpopular opinion you're in the minority report what do you think yeah this wouldn't come as a big surprise to anybody who knows me but having recently given up sugar my unpopular opinion is that sugar is terrible for you i know i know i am like the butt of many jokes and my christian friends have made me leprous but i'm gonna stick with it do you do you like slap sodas out of people's hands while they're drinking them no, to no no i'm not somebody who cares what anybody else does i'm just doing my own thing but... wow all right so someone said at the end of the going around the table at the time of grace meeting what share an unpopular opinion and this is what one of my coworkers said he said well pastor mike is funnier on paper than he is in person Wow. I'm going to ask for an invitation to these meetings. You should have. Do you guys throw hands or do fist fly? Right when I started with Time of Grace, our old CEO, Tim, we were talking about, you know, how's it going? How are things going? And I remember he made the comment like, you know, Pastor Mike's humor, it it would be a bit better if it was humorous. (laughs) So. Yeah, I don't I don't want to go to the meetings actually. No. I'd be really nervous about what they'd say about me. No, people are super cool. That's I I I accept that critique. I tell a lot of jokes and occasionally they're funny and lots of the times they're not. So I've I've accepted that as true about myself. Hmm, that's good. That's good. So, it's good to accept criticism. Yeah, it is indeed. All right. So we're back to a new sermon series. Today we're talking about the book yes. of Esther. So at our church, we're about to launch this on time of grace. Uh, Amber, I was really shocked when, you know, I do a lot of the sermon series planning at our church. And when I put the book of Esther on the calendar, I would not have said, this is going to be the series that our church loves the most. But it was. Um, To this day, my wife says, you remember when we did the book of Esther last year? So this was the surprise underdog. Everyone loved it. And I'm excited for our Time of Grace friends to hear it too. So let's uh, dig in a little bit to this new sermon series on Esther called What's the Point? Yeah, so it's called What's the Point? And I I actually wanted to talk to you about that because Esther gets a bad rap. I think <laughs> I, oh, should I say it? <laughs> we can always edit it out. Sometimes I think women are judged more severely than men in mm-hmm. a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And I think the book of Esther has had some serious judgment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd agree or not, but mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. The name of God is not listed in the book anywhere. Yeah. So it is not used at all. 
But also some people have a problem with some of the things that Mordecai and Esther do mm. and the, people judge them for it. So I want to know, why did you enjoy this sermon series so much? Oh, man. Um, it is just such a good story. Um, there's a guy, his name is Isaiah. He was a friend of one of our church members. I had a chance to meet him. When I met him, at least he didn't express much interest or belief in the Christian faith, but he kept coming back because he's saying, I want to, I want to know what happens to that Esther. So I think there's something that, you know, all of us love a good story, whether it's true or not or relevant or not, it just yeah. sucks us in. And I think Esther definitely has that pull, like, how is this going to resolve itself? How does this, how do we get past this tension? And then you drop on the fact that it's a story in the Bible. So a true story that God's a part of. And yet, as you mentioned, I mean, how crazy is that? A book that is in God's word yeah. that never uses the word God. So it kind of makes you think if you're a Bible believing believer like you, you and me, like, why, why would that be? Why, <laughs> how can, why yeah. does this belong here? Does this not belong here? And so it's intriguing. It's a good story. It's one of the few books of the Bible named after a woman. So that grabs our attention. And it's short enough that you don't have to spend like 18 weeks to get through it. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can tackle this short story and it can really impact your faith in a great way. So every summer, my family <laughs> at the beginning of the summer, we're like, oh, this summer we're going to, you know, go to other Christian churches around our, our little neighborhood, you know, our town. And every summer my pastor starts a sermon series and it's like, you can't leave because <laughs> you'll miss something. You'll miss something big. So yeah. there's the hook, you know, you get us in with a story and we have to come back week after week to figure out yeah. where you're going with it. Yeah. That's awesome. So the first sermon is called trying to find my purpose. And so many times, especially when we're in these crazy seasons, you know, of like infants that are screaming and crying and keeping us up all night or taking care of elderly parents or even a really hard semester at college. It's so easy to think there is no point to this. Hmm. There's there's no point to this at all. I cannot fathom that there's a purpose here. Hmm. And yet your big idea in this sermon and more importantly, God's big idea is that, hold on, guys, you're here for purpose. Hmm. So how can you be so sure? Because God said so. <laughs> is that? No, it's okay. A... Moving on. Yeah, moving on. Next question, please. Yeah, so there's those really great promises. Uh, maybe the most famous one is in Romans 8, verse 28. In all things, God is working for the good. Yeah. So the things you can see, the things you can't, the things that are really evident, things that you say, no, this can't, this has to be bad. This isn't even neutral. This is bad. Um, or the book of first Corinthians 15, you know, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Mm -hmm. So we have these categorical promises that whether we can see it or not, um, God's up to something good. Yeah. You might be planting a seed and yeah, I can stare at a seed all day and think, what's the purpose? Nothing's happening. Oh, um, yeah. yes. Sometimes God doesn't measure purpose in days, but decades. Mm. And so you're changing the diaper with a small act of love and think, what, what am I doing in life? And then a decade or two later, you've raised a kid who was loved and safe yeah. and they get a little glimpse of the compassionate heart of God or his sacrificial love. So it's hard for us as humans. We're like a 5G. I need to see it now. Otherwise I'm quitting because this isn't working. 
no, no, no. Uh, the God of the Bible, he sees kind of the long-term picture. You just reminded me, I hadn't thought of it till now, but um, I know you know the Shane and Shane song, Though You Slay Me. <laughs> and there's the um, John Piper version yes. in between. And I I have played that song. I'm yeah. probably one million views on their on their yeah. video because he's that's his whole point when they do the instrumental and john piper comes in he's like there's a purpose here guys yeah. like in the midst of cancer oh. in the midst of the worst like god is doing something yes even though we can't see it yes anyone listening right now find that on youtube though you slay me shane and shane the john piper version yeah and if you don't get choked up by the time john piper is done talking we will give you a free copy of soul care <laughs> by amber Abby swenson because your soul needs some care if that does not move you it is wasn't it true that john piper's mother wasn't she run over by a driver walking know. down the sidewalk i think that's what he mentions oh, wow he you does know? mention that but i didn't i didn't know that was true to him yeah and so wow. there is a purpose in the pain in the pleasure in the the mountaintop moments in the valley and the book of Esther is a subtle reminder. Esther and Mordecai mm -hmm. couldn't see it yet, but God behind the scenes without shouting his name, uh, he was all over those events. Awesome. All right. Can you give us a synopsis of what happens in the first two chapters of Esther so that my question makes sense? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, the book of Esther, I, I call it the bachelor BC edition. <laughs> hold on, right? hold on, hold on. There's one huge difference. These women didn't sign up for this. Oh, uh, yes. They were, were confiscated. More, they, were, they were a lot more women. Yes, there, there are. There are slight yeah. differences. <laughs> it's le Sorry. a little less romantic. So, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I haven't seen The Bachelor in a long time. So maybe. And I'm they got one chance <laughs> to make an, I mean, like one chance. And it was, an, it was a sexual chance to make yeah. an impression versus like dating. Yeah. Is that that? I don't know. I hear things about The Bachelor. Is that not true of The Bachelor anymore? Though? Well, hopefully not on the first. <laughs> I I mean, I don't know. I guess I don't watch it. Uh, all right. Here's the story. Um, there's an ancient yeah. king, a, a true king we know from history. His name is Xerxes. Um, Xerxes has this wife named Vashti. Xerxes throws this huge bash for his kingdom. All the people come. He's super hammered, drunk. He and all the guys, his wife, the queen's having another party in a different place. And apparently... Xerxes says, I want to show you how hot my wife is. <laughs> this is chapter one of a book of the Bible. Uh, but Vashti refuses to come in. Um, some commentators actually think Xerxes wanted her to come in with very little clothes on to parade his beautiful wife in front of his drunk generals. She refuses. Um, the drunk men and leaders of Xerxes' kingdom panic because they think, wait, if the women, if my wife finds out that even the queen can say no to the king, what is she, what's she going to say to me? So they hatch this very chauvinistic, very twisted, and as you mentioned, pretty dark plot when you think about the details. Let's find all the most beautiful women in the kingdom, and let's find a new queen. They'll get one night with you, O king, and then you can pick your favorite. And in one of the classic understatements of the Bible, it says, this idea pleased the king. <laughs> so here you have a dark, twisted, chauvinistic, perverted demonic, sexually broken start to this story. And yet by the end, this will be the story where God intervenes to save his people, uh, the messianic line through which you and I were saved. So part of our salvation starts here with a darker, uh, more explicitly rated version of The Bachelor.
I was trying really hard not to roll my eyes and cringe, and but I don't think I did a great job during that synopsis. You, you did not. No, no. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, not, I'm. I'm hoping you weren't judging my synopsis. Not at all. My synopsizing. I think you were judging the sinfulness of the story, right? The cringe worthiness of what was going on. I mean, in one way, it helps you find comfort in some of the things you see in the news today, because mm-hmm. it, you know what's happened before is happening again. So. Okay, so one of the arguments against the Book of Esther is that Esther went along with this idea of sleeping with King Xerxes, you know, whereas Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're like, oh, throw us in the fire. Like, we're not going to bow down no matter what. And Daniel, he was going to pray no matter what. And so my question is, what's your take on that whole thing? Like, she Hmm. didn't take a stand. So how should we view that? Oh, man. Um, It's actually very comforting to me because uh, there are probably more days when I feel like Esther than I do like Daniel. So the Bible Bible records what it does not promote. You know, it records acts Mm -hmm. of sin, of cowardice, Peter denying Jesus, Esther maybe not standing up and paying the price. Um, and yet, in the midst of those recordings, it proves that God has a place for even struggling sinners mm-hmm. in his great saving work and, you know, to spread the good news of the gospel. So here we have Esther who has, you know, maybe, according to some, a really moment of cowardice where she gives in for her own personal gain, perhaps, who knows? Um, and yet, throughout the story, we're going to see her find her courage, uh, stand up for what's right. So that, that feels very human to me. It feels very realistic. Yeah. If every book of the Bible just said, and then God said to so-and-so, follow me. And they followed him faithfully until their last breath where they saw the face of God. <laughs> I would read that book and be like, uh. Ouch. Oh, it's out, yeah. yeah. But instead, here there's Peter and John and mm-hmm. Abraham and David and Esther. Um, there's only one hero in the Bible and uh, his name is not Esther, it's Jesus. Do you think Esther really wanted to be queen? Because... Hmm. From my perspective, like if she was a Jewish woman, like who would want to marry him? Hmm. It's hard to know. I mean, people speculate it had been a lot of years since the Jewish people were at their spiritual prime. Yeah. So how important was her faith? That's kind of a mystery of the book. Were she and Mordecai at this point more ethnically Jewish than rooted in the Torah? Hmm. and? you know, faithful believers in a foreign land. Um, Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I I have a bunch of questions when I meet Esther in heaven of uh, exploring that story. Yeah, there are a lot more questions than answers for so many of these things that we just don't know. Hmm. Okay, so sermon two, when doing right is risky. Um, So explain the predicament that Esther and Mordecai Mordecai found themselves in that Hmm. caused Mordecai to challenge Esther to do what is right. Yeah. Yeah. So basically the rule of the ancient kingdom was there was a dude with an ax who stood behind the throne. And if someone not just tried to assault the king, but walked into the king's presence without being on the king's calendar, Mr. Axeman would step out unless the king intervened by extending his scepter and you were done. So (laughs) we're so used to uh, maybe American democracy and respect for people and equality, but that, I mean, that was not the case 
in the Persian kingdom. Um, you know, you for safety, for either power reasons or safety reasons or both, they didn't let anyone close unless they had a good reason. And so as this plot comes up in the book of Esther to exterminate all the Jews, I mean, Esther is not on the king's calendar. He, he doesn't even, does he know she's Jewish, right? So she's got to make the choice now. Am I going to risk my life and step into the presence of the king? Mm -hmm. And you might say, well, you're the queen. He chose you. He loves you. Well, yeah, he chose Queen Vashti way back in the day. Yeah. And then he turned and she was done. So this is not, you know, Mr. Romance. Um, this is a guy who can be very dangerous and volatile. So that was the huge risk that Esther has to take that kind of centers the book. So... When I thought about this, I thought that this seemed to show quite a bit of growth on Esther's part because the people who said she didn't take a stand at the beginning, you yeah. know, she went along with, this is what I have to do. I have to sleep with the king. That's part of it. Um, when it came to saving her people, she was willing to take the stand. She was willing to take the risk, even if it meant death. Mm. So, you know, what do we do when we botch it? How should we treat our fellow Christians? How do we treat our kids when, you know, we don't take that stand? Hmm. I want to throw that back at you. Um, uh, I, I feel always like take the stand. No, <laughs> you, you are. You're like a no, I'm joking. Amber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I actually think that's really complicated and it depends on a lot of factors. So what's your, what's your gut reaction? Someone you know botches it, you botch it we're cowards instead of courageous. We should say something, but instead we just laugh and go along with mm -hmm. the joke. Yeah, what's your reaction to that? I always react the same way. And that is that I pray that God gives me a second chance. So I botch it a lot. Hmm. I um, have learned the hard way at the nursing home where I work that if I don't say something about Jesus, I might not get a second chance. I can hmm. come back and someone's dead the next hmm. time I work. Hmm. And um, just was with a man the other day who was saying he was ready to die and he's not ready to die. I've talked to him spiritually. He doesn't want anything to do with God. Hmm. And I know that, right? I, I know that about him. So I'm, I'm talking to him and he's telling me he's ready to die. And I'm like, are you sure you're ready to die? And I'm praying like, should I be bold? Do I go too far? Like he's already told me how he feels. And I botch it all the time and I always pray that God gives me another chance and an opportunity and that I somehow have the words and that his heart is full of, you know, hmm. good soil. And so, yeah, I botch it all the time. I just pray for another chance and, or that someone else can do what I didn't. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you're making me think that. Thanks for that answer. Um, there's so much clarity on the car ride home. Yeah right yeah <laughs> whatever the conversation is and then you're in the car like oh i should have said i don't know in 99 percent of the conversations i have the door isn't totally closed that i could text someone or say you know i was i was thinking after we talked mm -hmm. or wow you know what you said really made me think and it didn't come to me in the moment but i've you know your, your words really impacted me and i would like to say so yeah we, we botch it no one's gonna have a perfect manuscript on their first draft, the perfect words as they're still processing the situation. So do your best, pray for wisdom. And then if God gives you more wisdom on the car ride home, like leverage it and do your best with it. You know, when you know better, do better. Mm -hmm. And I think that really applies here too.
I think we have to have a ton of grace with our kids mm. because I'm an old Christian. You know, I um, have gotten mm. way more courageous in my old age. Mm. And uh, man, I didn't have a whole lot of courage when I was young. And I think with our kids, especially to meet them with grace time and time and time again, as you encourage, you mm. know, mm. hey, that would have been a perfect opportunity mm. to bring up this is why you don't do that or whatever. Mm. But you know what? I get it because I I don't know if I would have been strong enough or bold enough to say something in that, for instance. So mm -hmm. we can work towards that, but wow. no condemnation here. Just like yep. maybe next time we should think about this. Yep. Oh, man. Okay. This is my favorite moment of the interview, Amber. You're making me think of one of my favorite things. Uh, I read in a book called The Curse of Knowledge. Have you heard this? No. Um, is basically, <laughs> I don't have the curse of knowledge. Oh, you do. Clearly. You do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the curse of knowledge is this principle that when you've, when you've known something for so long, the curse is you forget how much, you know, you go to the mechanic and they just start like saying car parts and you're like, I, I don't, or you go to the doctor and they read you mm -hmm. your blood pressure. You're like, I don't know what those numbers mean. I preach a sermon. I forget. Oh yeah. Not everyone knows what I know. And you're making me think as you get older, there's also the curse of experience yeah, where I, by God's grace, I've grown since I was 16. And if I forget that, I'm going to think, well, a 16 year old should be at my level. They're, they're supposed to figure this out. They should have known. I would have known what to do in the car. Well, yeah, you're, you're 42, you're 74. <laughs> like, are you looking at me saying you're 74? No, I didn't know your age. So I intentionally picked an age that was way above your age. <laughs> This is the least, this is my least favorite part of the interview. <laughs> Amber, don't, I was trying to make a good point and then. It was a very good point. And I, I think it was, it was a great point. And I, my parenting changed when I figured that out. Mm. I, I wish that you could parent as an experienced parent from day one, mm. but it takes you so long to figure these things out. And I think about five years back. I realized that the biggest struggle in my relationship with my children is that I expected them to spiritually act the way I do. Mm. And that's so unfair because I've been in the Bible for years. Yes. Wow. And then realizing one of my friends actually said to me something like, and Amber, how did you act when you were 18? Mm, yeah. And I was like, oh, let's not bring that no. up. <laughs> was that I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yes. And she's like, wow. and you loved Jesus. Yeah. So why are you expecting your children hmm. to do differently and not make any mistakes yep. when you did? Yep. And um, that's been super helpful for parenting. Uh, yeah, that's good. Well, I'm going to, I don't know if that's impactful for people listening, but I'm going to remember that of don't, don't be cursed by experience and growth. Yeah. Like it's a gift, but you can't impose that on other people because they're not there yet. And your kids will be much more open to talking to you is you, if you're way more humble about that, you mm -hmm. know, if you actually recognize that and say to them, man, if you could have seen 18 year old me, mm -hmm. you, you would be totally fine saying what you just said to me because I was right there with you. Mm -hmm. Don't worry yeah. about it. Wow. Wow. Man. Yeah. Well said. So how can we be sure if we're the one to act when we see something that needs to be done? I mean, is it me? Is it you? Should someone else be doing it? How do I know if I'm the one who has to do the risky thing? Man. 
That's such a good question in the internet age, because we all see, <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, if I say something insensitive or dumb or wrong in a time of grace program, should all X <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people email me, <laughs> right? So we see things wrong online or on someone's social media post, or, you know, you walk in a store, you see a parent who's like not being a good parent, you step in and I'm going to parent your kid for you, right? If, if you're yeah. not going to do it. So there's a lot of really relevant situations where we are going to see lots of things, especially in our day and age that aren't right. When is it our place to step in? I don't know if there's a Bible passage that gives a simple guideline, but I think the principle, like the closer it is to me, the more God is calling me to do something about it. Starting with me, I think Jesus would say in Matthew 7, before we start finding the courage to talk about those people or judge their behavior, let's look in the eye, take the plank out of my own eye, then under my own roof. So if it's my immediate family, my brother, my sister, if I have a spouse, a son or a daughter, if I'm part of a church family, well, yeah, church families for sure should lovingly bear each other's burdens, call each other out, rebuke when that needs to be done. Um, I, I don't know. I have a hunch that there's probably enough correcting work to be done in my life, my family, and my church yeah. that I could I could step away from the internet without a critical word, right? And it, not because it's not wrong, but just because the further the distance, the less the relationship. I mean, when in the comment section does something get resolved? Um, I think we have enough data points there to know that's probably not a wise way to address issues. So find courage with your friends, your family, your church. Um, pull an Esther. She was approaching her husband, you know, not walking across, finding every king who had a decision to make. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the closer, the more likely the calling. Mm, good answer. All right. Sermon number three, my life isn't random. Tell us the difference between coincidence and providence. Ooh. Yeah. I remember the intro to the sermon. I had asked people on the scale of coincidence to providence, yeah. Coincidence being it just happened, dumb luck, hey, that's crazy. And providence being like God had a hand in this. Are you God never intervenes? That used to be called uh deism, was it? A lot of the founders of America were deists. Like God wound up the clock and he set it to go, but now he's not intervening with miracles and a, a divine hand. And providence is like everything is God. So there's no chance. You could roll a some dice. And if it showed up as an eight instead of a six, that was God, right? So that's that's providence. That God is kind of interjecting. He's hairs fall from our head because of God. The lot is cast into the lap. The proverb says because of God, a single sparrow falls to the ground because of God. People live in certain times and places because of God. So yeah, this sermon tries to tackle that. Is your life random? If so, how much? How is God a part of all of it? Those are really good questions to think about. Yeah, for real. So sometimes we don't acknowledge that God is in a situation because it isn't a situation we want. Um, <laughs> how can we be sure that God is still in the plan, guiding us through when it's a super painful situation? Oh. I stole this illustration um, from someone else, but then I experienced it uh, when my girls were really little and we would bring them to the doctor to get their shots. 
you know, and as a parent, do you have to do this? I'm like holding down the girl's limbs as they, the nurse jabs this, you know, a string. Yeah. I'm literally holding my child down so a stranger can stab them. <laughs> and they, they don't know what's happening until the first one. And then there's the delayed cry, you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, oh yeah, and they're child. looking at you like, how, how oh, dare you do that? You monster. <laughs> Yeah. You're holding, attack that woman. Don't hold me down, dad. So I've always loved that illustration because I, it's a good analogy. It's painful. The person going through the pain does not understand it. And the supposed person that loves the person in pain has the power to stop it, but doesn't. Right? You check those three things. My, ch my child is in pain. They don't understand. This is bad. This isn't good. And yet I'm there and I could stop it and I claim to love them, but I don't. And isn't that exactly the heart of your question? I'm in pain. God, I don't understand why this is happening to me. And you say that you love me and you have the power to stop it, but you don't. It's like you hold me down in this situation instead mm -hmm. of intervening and taking out the source of my pain. Super confusing. Um, but here's why the analogy I think is brilliant, why I stole it from someone, is because there's something the child doesn't understand that the parent does. What is causing you pain is actually for a greater good later on. It hurts now, but it's going to save you from something that hurts more later. So the reason I'm allowing this, you, you don't get it. I, I don't explain your however month old brain to grasp this in the same way. Does God know things about your pain that you don't? Are you humble enough to admit, I have no clue if this is good or bad for me? Is cancer good or bad for me? Is losing my job good or bad for me? Is struggling with infertility good or bad for me? Hmm. Um, I, I can say as much as a, a human being as that child can getting their shots. I'm not God. I don't know. So it's an act of humility to say, even though this is painful and I don't get it, if God allowed it and if God is love, this has to be for my good. This can't be random. It can't be punishment. This is God in his mysterious ways, which are higher than mine as the heavens are above the earth. And I'm going to have the humility to trust that he's still good. He has to be because of Jesus. So there has to be another option too, though, because I'm thinking the free will. So the free will that God allows us means that sometimes people sin and cause hurt, right? Hmm. So if a husband has an affair... Mm -hmm. that wasn't God that put the pain in my life, right? Mm -hmm. It was a free will that allowed this, mm -hmm. you know, free will led to sin that led to an affair that led to hurt. Yep. yep. So Providence would say, even in this situation, God will somehow show up, even though it wasn't God that led us here. Mm. It was sin, right? And yeah. And the effect of sin oh. that's causing the pain. Yeah, you're right. There's a big chunk in my seminary notes about the will of God. Mm -hmm. And there's subcategories to the will of God that it would take us a few hours to talk through. Um, God's ultimate will, what he commands, but then his, some people call it his permissive will. So God is still sovereign. It's not like he couldn't have stopped the affair from happening. He could have struck right. that person. He could have made a car crash. He he had the power to stop it. Somehow he permitted even what he is against and hates. 
So I think what I don't want people to do is to say, well, if sin is involved, then God must have been, God can't be a part of that then because God doesn't like sin. I would rather choose to say, just like at the cross of Jesus, God permitted betrayal and injustice, Judas and Pilate, and yet he flipped what the enemy meant for evil mm. for something good. So I would say, even if you're in a situation that broke God's heart, um, God is still providential. He's still sovereign. There's still a purpose for this. The sins that have been committed against you, God's not just going to say, wow, I'm sorry. I didn't want that to happen. I, I, guess I, can't, I can only use good things. <laughs> right. No, somehow he's going to use it to refine us, to prune us, to lead us to Jesus. So, wow, yeah, I think we need to recover a providential big God who's sovereign, even over the pain, even over the sin that happens in the world that he loves. Mm, okay, thank you for that. Sermon number four, my plans versus God's plans. This sermon is about Esther's plan. She planned the banquet to go to the king. And, but you explain how, you know, I no matter how much she planned, like there was so much more involved than just mm. Esther and her banquets. So describe this part of the book of Esther for those who don't know what we're talking about. Oh man, it involves, <laughs> just read Esther five to seven. And if you don't grin, like I owe you a nickel. It's like, it's huge anticipation. Esther says to her husband, the king, I wanna have this big banquet for you, but not, not just yet. And then the king's right-hand man, this villain named Haman, he goes off and he finds his arch enemy who doesn't know happens to be yeah. Esther's what cousin, um, Mordecai. So he builds this giant stake to skewer him on. And then King Xerxes can't sleep. So how random is this? He's like, you know what I need? I need like the meeting minutes of the kingdom. So he has some random dude who just opened some random From book. five years ago. Exactly. Some <laughs> random page, right? But here's God's providence. Oh, look at this. It just happens to be the page where you find the name of Esther's relative. And just domino after domino where you're shaking yeah. your head and you're laughing like, yeah, God, come on, do this. And he works through a bad night's sleep and some old meeting minutes that were covered in dust. And God uses it to bring about this ultimate resolution to the story of Esther. Yeah, it's all great. Hmm. So what grand plan did you have for your life that God decided it wasn't meant to be? Oh, yes. I'm going to ask you this question, too. So you think about your answer. Um, when I was 15. I think when I started high school, 14, 15, my grand plan was really easy. If I didn't become a professional soccer player, very, very slim chance of that happening. Uh, I was going to follow in my dad's footsteps and in my older brother, Chris's footsteps. They both went to UW-Madison. They were badgers. I was going to be a badger. They both studied business. I was going to study business. Like from the earliest age, I can remember that that's what I was going to do. But when I was in middle school, a pastor came to my church up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I had a big impact on me. His name was John Parlow. Um, I turned into a Bible reading kid in high school that read the Bible cover to cover. And in the process of that journey, I came across a singular passage in Mark's gospel that like hard left turn. One passage, I'm like, I should become a pastor. And my whole plan I had my roommate picked out, friends from high school who are already going to Madison, and I went from Madison to New Ulm, Minnesota, from business to theology, from going to college with a bunch of my friends to going to college where I knew no one. <laughs> so God, uh, God pulled the rug out. What was the passage? What good is it if a man gains the whole world 
and yet gives up his soul. Wow. Yeah. And I just thought, how many people are going after something in the world? Um, yeah. The money, the job, the fun, the experiences, the family, the girl, the guy, the kids, and they just forget about God. They don't go to church. They don't read the Bible. Right. They lose connection. Like, I got to tell them that God is so much better than the best things of this world. And uh, that was the first domino for me. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Because you go back in time, find something like, oh, yeah, this is how it's going to be. And then God said, Zoop. I haven't had part in any part of the plan. I remember telling my pastor that we should start a women's Bible study at church. And I'm like, I'll write the studies. You teach them. He's like, I'm not teaching them. You teach them. I'm like, I'm not a teacher. I can't teach. Why would I? I, I can't teach. Uh, it was so sick for a week before the first. I was like, you're, I did my best Moses impression. And <laughs> I got up and taught the first week and I was like, I'm a teacher. I love this. Where have I been? Wow. Yes. I remember saying I could never do a podcast. I remember specifically having that discussion. <laughs> like I'm not doing a podcast. I could never do a podcast. I was at a Christian writing conference, talking to an editor. She stopped me mid-pitch. I was telling her about this great book I was going to write for her. She stopped mid-pitch and she's like, do you have a podcast? I'm like, no, I don't have a podcast. Not interested in a podcast. So anyway, about the book, she's like, start a podcast. I'm like, I'm not going to start a podcast. I don't, yeah. mm. And then I remember telling our CEO, Matt Trotter, last August, I will never be on camera with Pastor Mike. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Sat in Panera in a booth and said, whatever you do, I will never, ever be on camera with Pastor Mike. I will do all kinds of things, but never. So there you have it. Oh, wow. All my plans, everything I say, God laughs. <laughs> God flips it. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. It's humbling and it's wonderful. And yeah, if you're listening, um, obviously you're listening if you heard me say those words. But <laughs> Yeah, you never know what God's going to do. I no. mean, just be faithful, be open to those turns. Um, he reroutes us in beautiful ways. So, Your main point in this sermon is to plan like it all depends on you. So maximize mm -hmm. all your efforts, your energy, your money, but yeah. then rest like it all depends on God. So mm -hmm. break that tension down for us. Ooh, I like that you chose the word tension. You can get pulled in two directions, right? Either I'm not going to, well, whatever, God's good. Providence, he's going to do what he's going to do. I'm going to trust him. So no planning versus uh, maybe more how I'm wired of like coming up with a plan, setting a goal. Ex I'm going to execute this, check this box. And then, oh, something goes wrong and you you get stressed and overwhelmed and flipped out. So I don't know that I can say anything to our friends of like, here is the silver bullet to resolve that. Yeah. It's just really pushing yourself maybe on the front end to say, how can I be the best manager of this money that God's given me. Wow, here, I live in first world America. There's people making up $2,000 a year in other countries. And God put me in this place where there's air conditioning and heat, and I don't even have room for all my clothes. Okay, how, how can I be intentional about squeezing every bit of kingdom impact out of the dollars that God gives me mm -hmm. as an American? And then on the, on the back end, maybe we lessen a little bit on the planning and just say, okay, God, some of that worked out like I thought. Yeah. Um, but in all things, you're working for the good. So help me to, <laughs> to move over into the passenger seat to let you drive the ultimate outcome. So maybe a little bit harder work on the front end, a little bit more faith and rest on the back end. Mm -hmm. That's the tension I think all of us are trying to hold. 
Good answer. Sermon five, what do I do when I fall short? So this whole sermon is about momentum change because for the most part of this sermon series, Xerxes was not a great guy, but mm. here we see things turn around, flip around, and all of a sudden he's on Esther and Mordecai's side mm. instead of somebody that they have to, you know, get to understand their reasoning. You gave us three words to remember. So joy, because we can be filled with joy no matter what we're going through, which you kind of already talked about, remembering mm -hmm. that, you know, God is in this. So that fills us with joy. And then you said fight, and I'm going to get back to that. So I'm not going to cover that much. But and then win, because in the end, you know, God will work it for good. And also we have the cross. You showed us the cross and Christ's redemptive work. I mean, mm -hmm. it's been done. So going back to fight, though. Mm -hmm. So you said, you know, a lot of, well, we're all struggling with sin, right? I mean, we all do. Mm. We're going to, and that's that tension again of living in the sinful world. But a lot of us go to church and we'll babble a confession. And sometimes we're not even thinking about the words. We're just, we know them so well. We're just saying our confession. Mm. And then we walk right back out of church into the same mm. sins and do the mm. same thing without even thinking about it. And mm. during this fight section, you're like, no. So why is it not okay to just not take our sin seriously? Hmm. Because God said so. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Moving yeah. on. Yes. <laughs> Next. No. Um, yeah. Isn't this, I mean, hey, we're, we sin. We're never going to reach that point where we don't sin ever. So you can kind of just get used to it. Okay. Yep. Another week, another confession, back to life. What sometimes helps me is when I think of what's at stake with my behavior. Mm -hmm. So by the grace of God, I'm not holding my breath. Am I going to make it to heaven or not? Right. I mean, that, that there's the relief that, okay, whether this is my best week or my worst, the blood of Jesus covers all kinds of sin. Um, but when I think, if, if, I, if I go to my soccer game on Wednesday and... If by the grace of God, I can be patient and selfless and not uber competitive, if I can be kind and respectful, like when I walk off that field with unity with my team, no drama, the respect mm -hmm. of the referee, God could open a door and I can invite someone to church. But, but if I'm thinking about Mike, if I'm getting revenge, if I'm talking trash, if I'm dishonorable, if I'm selfish, if I won't sub out, like if I'm that guy, if I sin and I walk off that field, people are yelling, we're supposed to be having fun. It's a sport and we're driving home tense. If I invited yeah. someone to church, they'd laugh in my face like, what? Why would I want to go to, yeah. why would I want to be where you are? When I think of what's riding on the way I communicate with my wife, my character with my church, the reputation of God's name in this community. I mean, I, I just saying that right now, I feel the weight of that. Like, okay, mm -hmm. this matters. Yep. The way I behave, it, it's not a get to heaven or not situation, but it does matter in so many ways. And so I want to put sin to death. I want to put pride to death. I want to be filled with the fruit of the spirit because uh, Martin Luther used to say, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor sure does. Right. Yeah, my wife needs a good mic. My kids need a good mic. My church needs a good mic. My neighbor does too. So, yep, we, we have joy in Jesus. We're going to win in the end, but there's a time for us to fight because these battles do matter. Agreed. 
you talked about taking action. So right now someone is struggling with sin. Hmm. They know it and they've confessed it and they're praying for change. So what are some tangible steps? You said, you know, you have to take action. You can't just say, I'm going to, I'm going to change and then not have a plan. So yep. what does a plan look like? Mm. Uh, I'll give you three steps. I think okay. they're the most powerful people, a passage and prayer. Okay. So I would guess that lots of us, let's say you're struggling with uh, pornography or being a really controlling person in relationships. And so quietly you say to God, oh, I did it again, God, I'm sorry. And that's the end of it for most of us. Mm -hmm. What would happen if you'd include people in that struggle? Hey everyone, I, I really struggle with making good choices with my phone. Um, James chapter five says, confess your sins to each other. So this is embarrassing for me, but I wanna bring it into the light. I need your prayers, I need you to check in on me. People, number two, Psalm 119 says, when you memorize the word of God and put it in your heart, it helps you not sin. So I would encourage people, find your struggle, find the most impactful personal passage for you. Um, you know, if it's pornography, it might be 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. Honor God with your body. I want something like my sword and shield that when that temptation comes, I'm not in a battle without my armor. And then third, to pray. Um, if you know your struggle, pray about that before it happens. So I'm waking up today. Hey, God, I'm going off to work. Oh, man, <laughs> there's some people at work that, like, I want to control them. Help me remember what I learned in your word. Repeat passage here. I can even text my people. Hey, going off to work today. Uh, I really need some extra prayer. It's not going to save you from every sin. But I think most of us don't do that. And they're really biblical, simple steps, people, passage, and a prayer. Mm, very good. Very good. Sermon number six, keeping my God connection. So this brings us to the end of the book of Esther. All right. So your point is that we need to stay connected daily and weekly to God. So how do we develop a habit mm. of being in the word? Yeah. Habits. Uh, have you heard of the book Atomic Habits? Mm -mm. I mean, I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Yeah, it's a. I, I just checked today. It as of January twenty twenty three. It has sold over ten million copies mm. in five years. I can tell you, it's hard to sell, sell ten thousand copies of a book. Ten. <laughs> really, million, I do it all the time. Million. I'm sorry that it's hard for you to do that. Yeah, but if you click this link, Amber's webinar is yours for just twenty nine ninety nine. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, habits. Oh man. Uh, there, there's a whole psychology and eating habits, right? Exercise mm -hmm. habits, church habits. Um, maybe I just say this about spiritual habits. Here's the why that I'm starting with. Every good relationship that I've ever had has been so reliant on time and words. Right, My best friendships, when things are great with my wife, Kim, or my daughters, it's because we've spent time together. Yeah and we've spoken words to each other. So if your goal is to have a great relationship with God, um, if you think church or read your Bible or subscribe to the Time of Grace email is like some mindless box checking religious ritual, no, God speaks to us in his word. And if you spend frequent time with him every week in church, mm -hmm. every day as you grab the book and he gets to, you can pray to him and speak words, but Imagine like texting someone and they never texted you back. 
Um, <laughs> that'd be an odd relationship. I wouldn't feel close to that person. But here in his word, God is speaking back to us. So there's a lot of psychology on, you know, how do you, how do you make church a weekly habit and not skip every other one or two times a month? But I would just want to start with that. If, if you do want a relationship with God, you know this from other relationships. It takes time. It takes words. And here's what these spiritual disciplines do. They give you time with God to hear his word. You want to know what works for me? I do. <laughs> I realized early on, I need rules. Like, I need rules for everything. You know, mm -hmm. I need rules for eating. I need, rule, I, I need rules for everything. I'm just a rule person. And I found out that signing up to teach Sunday school, to teach women's Bible study, to teach, it keeps me in the word. So I can on my own, I do my own anyway, but if I really want to dig in, I have to dig in to teach something. I can't teach something without digging in. Yep. So by signing up to teach Sunday school every year, it forced me mm. to get on a weekly basis on a deeper level than I would have pushed myself. Yeah. Same with the women's Bible study. <clears throat> and I wasn't, I took a year off from the women's Bible study and I realized I was a really stinky attendee. Like I would find every reason I was like, I'm tired. It doesn't work for my family. And I'm like, that's why I teach. Mm, Cause then yep. I have to show up Yep, yep. and then I have to know it. And it's funny how just little tiny bits week after week, after week, after week, it's like running, you know, or anything you do it mm. consistently week mm -hmm. after week. And you don't realize how strong you get because you're just doing a little bit at a time. And you're like, you don't realize. And then all of a sudden, Mm. things become clearer and you know more and, or people are talking about things and you're like, Oh yeah, I totally understand what they're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Just little consistent. Yeah. Being all, in the word. That's awesome. That's good advice. Mm. So what's your best advice for the person who listens and is like, okay, pastor Mike, you've convinced me. I've got to get into the word. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't been reading the word, but I, I need to, I want this. This is important to me. I want it on my calendar. I'm going to open my Bible. What do I do? Oh, yeah, maybe I'd go back to a previous answer. I'd start with people. Hmm. So my wife, she's been awesome at the gym. Um, there's a friend that she and this friend drive together, and that friend's going to be waiting at 4 a.m. Car's going to be in our driveway. So that helps her because someday she's motivated, someday she's not. So having other people to mm -hmm. drive. Um, my family this year, my girls are reading the whole Bible with mom and dad cover to cover. Awesome. So we survived Leviticus. We made it, everyone. <laughs> yeah, we're about four months in. Um, it maybe has something to do because we told our uh, almost 15-year-old, if you read the whole Bible, we'll get you your first cell phone. There and you she, go. She immediately, that would do became, it. <laughs> she immediately became interested. So treats, rewards, uh, buy yourself a gift. <laughs> no, I, there's just something powerful because our family has that little check thing. So here's the day's readings. Everyone has a different color pen. And there's just something about that where, oh, I, I got to catch up. I, I got to make sure I do this. Mm -hmm. So God has just built something into our psychology that community matters to us. Yeah. Motivates us and encourages us. It's hard to do. It's hard to do the right thing. It's almost impossible to do the right thing by yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you feel that good desire in your heart to get connected to God's word, um, I, I pray you have the motivation to do it when no one's watching. But man, when you're getting started, having someone to hold your hand, encourage you, pick you up, tell you it's okay. You missed a couple of days. Let's mm -hmm. get back at it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the gift of community. 
And you don't have to start in Genesis. Hmm. You can start in Matthew if you or want. Or Leviticus. Or no, <laughs> no one should start in Leviticus. <laughs> you can start in the Psalms or if you're a rural person like I am, Proverbs might be your cup of tea or do you love the letters of Paul. Do you love genealogies? Well, we have the reading plan for you. Amber and Mike's only genealogies, Bible reading plan. <laughs> do you like obscure Hebrew names? <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, I don't. I don't. Oh, you know what? That's actually a really good tip. I have told many people in my women's Bible study, look, if there's a part of the Bible that's bogging you down, because I've read through my Bible many times, hmm. and I bet the first 10 times, some of the stuff, Moses is a redundant writer. Him and I are going to have some <laughs> words when I get to heaven. Like he could have said all 12 tribes did this, but instead he repeats all 12 tribes, the hmm. same thing. If it's bogging you down, move ahead. Mm, like, good. don't let that be the reason you quit reading the Bible. Yeah. Skip a chapter, skip 10 chapters, go to the next book of the Bible. If this book of the Bible is why you're going to stop reading, yep. go to the next one. Good. Go to first Kings, second Kings, whatever. Don't let whatever is bogging you down, stop you from reading the Bible. Yeah, skip. That's good. That's you good. can always go back to it. Yep. Oh, I like that. Wow. So there it is, everyone. The book of Esther. All right. Hey, we're super happy uh, to share this series with you. We're also excited to share a brand new book written by Dr. Paul Kelm called, drum roll please. I get in trouble when I do that. I'm not supposed to tap my fingers on the desk anymore because I do it too often. Oh, gotcha. It is called Real Women of the Bible. Um, Amber, we had a coworker who kind of tracks all the, the books and resources we make. He made the bold prediction at yesterday's Time of Grace meeting that Real Women of the Bible will be the most popular book of 2023 for time of grace it may be god bless so, it yeah um synopsis uh, women in the bible play an absolutely essential role um, they're not side characters to the dudes who run the story so we see that in the book of esther we see that in the book of ruth we see that in the life of jesus who's some of his most faithful followers first witnesses of the resurrection are women so this is a reminder uh, whether you're a man or a woman but especially if you feel like a second class citizen in the kingdom like, wow, here are all these women that God loved. God had a great purpose and a plan for uh, his daughters in the faith matter so much too. So make sure you run over to timeofgrace.org to check out Real Women of the Bible. Amber, so good to talk to you. Uh, my, my heart is full and my face hurts, which means it's been a good podcast with you. So thanks good. for joining us again. You bet. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for watching and we'll see you next time.